Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Moneymakers Weekly Investment Trust podcast with me, Jonathan Davis, and Simon Elliott, Head of Investment Trust Research at Winterflood Securities. This week, exceptionally, we are recording this podcast on a Thursday, so we will be unable to bring you the events of Friday, uh, but we may catch up on them next week if there's time and enough interest. So let's just kick off by talking about the first four days of this week in the market. Simon, what's, uh, how have they been going? Well, I think it's fair to say that the market has been in a, in a reflective mood this week. The first four days of the week, it's kind of in positive territory. Uh, certainly, they all share probably up about half a percent, and the investment companies index is a little bit further on than that. But uh, it's definitely a case that I think fears are growing in terms of coronavirus. There's undoubtedly the shadow of the coronavirus is overweighing the markets to a greater or lesser extent. Uh, And also a lot of scrutiny of uh, the economic data coming through and how in particular the central banks respond to that. A lot of talk about the Federal Reserve and what they might do. In terms of the sector average discount, well, that was a little bit more of a positive story. The sector average discount has narrowed in certainly for the first four days of the week. Uh, from something wider than than seven to something nearer to about six and a half percent, so I guess maybe that reflects a little bit of buying interest across the uh, across the investment trust sector. Okay, so let's start off with uh, some corporate news, and when we get on to the announcements this week and similar events, let's start off with another change of manager. We've talked about quite a few in the income space, but this is not in the UK equity income space, but another sector. We're talking about Securities Trust of Scotland, which we noticed before they were about to change their management, or at least we're thinking of it. Uh, what have they decided to do? So yes, this is a slightly different situation than the other changes of managers that we've talked about uh, in recent months, where invariably poor performance has been a factor. In this case, the change of manager has been triggered by the fact that Mark Whitehead, who's been the portfolio manager over the last four years here, has actually uh, resigned from Martin Curry, the investment manager, uh, and he's looking to join uh, an outfit called Sandland. Uh, and as a result, the Board of Securities Trust of Scotland uh, decided to review their options and they announced that they would be appointing Troy Asset Management to replace Martin Curry. And there's a gentleman called James Harris. He will be the lead manager and supported by Thomas uh, Boniak. And so this is a good win for, for Troy Asset management, they're already involved in two other investment trusts, Personal Assets Trust and Troy Income and Growth. Uh, And similar to those two investment trusts, they're going to look to adopt a zero discount policy for Securities Trust of Scotland, and it will be keeping its name. And that's quite important. What it means is that shareholders can expect the the share price of this investment company, this investment trust, to trade around NAV. And that will be supported by buybacks or issuance as necessary. Uh, And I think the idea is that over time, they would hope to grow this particular vehicle. Something to bear in mind is that this is in the global equity income space, as you mentioned, but they are going to look to reduce the dividend. It's uh, going to be rebased, as we know, that's the terminology, by about 14% uh, to 5.5p for the current uh, financial year. And that equates to a a yield on the current share price of about 3%. So that's the development. Uh, And as I said, good news for Troy Asset Management growing their investment trust stable. Yes, they've obviously done very well in in recent years. And the uh, decision about the dividend is not perhaps so surprising as they've done something similar with their Troy Income and Growth Trust. They've reduced their dividend expectations. They're trying to wean the market off the idea that uh, high levels of income can persist for a long time, at least not without uh, jeopardising capital growth along the way. So it's good to see Troy with another trust in the investment trust sector. They do have a global uh, fund, of course, uh, which is not an income-oriented fund at all but I don't suppose they'll be doing that as well in the investment trust sector. We can see 
So that seems to be a satisfactory outcome. How are the shares trading then on, the, on that news? Well, they've gone better. So before the announcement, Securities Trust of Scotland had widened out in terms of its discount. It was probably trading around about a 6 7% level. Uh, and now, given the fact that there's going to be this zero discount policy, then unsurprisingly, it has, has done well on the back of it. Okay, so that would narrow in, you would expect eventually to around uh, par, you would think, or maybe even a premium, as you said, they're hoping to issue more shares if that happens. So let's move on to another trust that has done very well this week, or at least uh, there's good news around it, and that is a trust called Merion Chrysalis. We've talked about that before as well. It's one of these trusts that is investing in unlisted companies. What's the big news from there, and uh, how have the market regarded that? So, yeah, Merion Chrysalis is one of the best performers on the week, and there's been a couple of key developments there. To be fair, they'd already informed the market that they had made a, a £23 million follow-on investment, and then they confirmed this week that that was in a company called Klarna, which is an online shopping platform, and that was following a funding round for that particular company. So that has been very successful, and that's seen an uplift in its valuation. And then in addition to that, and slightly more recently, we've seen the IPO of the Hup Group, and Merion has a holding in there. They've been invested in there for some time, and that has meant that that's seen an uplift in its valuation as well. In fact, they've followed their money there. They've made an additional £14 million investment into the company at the time of the IPO. So, you know, two good kickers to their, their NEV this week. And, and as I said, on the first three or four days of the week, it was the best performing investment trust on, that, on the back of that. Right. And they haven't been listed for you know a long time, particularly. They, they're quite a newcomer to the market. So that's good news from them. I'm sure we'll be hearing more from them. They're very much, uh, as you say, on a roll at the moment. Let's go back to some uh, results that have come out this week. And the usual mixed bag, that's part of the fun of this sector. You get a, a wide range of companies reporting every week. There's nothing bland or uh, repeating about that process. Let's start with a trust called North Atlantic Smaller Companies. So North Atlantic Smaller Companies is a slightly different investment trust. It's one that probably flies under the radar a little bit. Uh, it's effectively a portfolio of smaller companies, as it puts it, that border the Atlantic Ocean, which sounds quite exciting. But what it effectively means at the moment is that they've got quite a high weighting to the UK and much lesser weighting to the US, and they invest in quoted and unquoted companies. Um, they have their interim results out to the 31st of July, a difficult period, um, understandably. Their NAV was down just a little bit more than 9% in that time. The story is that a number of their listed holdings were, were impacted by COVID-19, uh, though they did have some exposure to the life sciences sector, which uh, held up much better, performed quite well, in fact. In terms of their unquoted portfolio, um, they had a, an investment in one company called Jaguar Holdings, which was written down, but another Sherwood Holdings, which is actually in the life sciences sector, that was written up pending an IPO. So uh, a little bit of a mixed bag. This investment trust is managed by a gentleman called Christopher Mills, who has a, a large personal stake in it as well. He's quite an entrepreneurial, has a, quite an entrepreneurial approach to his, his investment. This, this trust is in the global smaller companies sector, according to the AIC classification anyway. And it's an interesting one because he does have a large personal stake, as you say. And it, uh, while one normally thinks that the manager having a, a large personal stake is uh, positively aligns the interest with the shareholders, I think his stake is sufficiently large that he effectively controls the company i think it's almost fair to say not in a perhaps in a legal sense but in a de facto sense and therefore he doesn't seem too worried if the shares trade at a big discount because presumably at some point there will be some kind of value realization but uh, as long as he goes on i wonder whether that will happen or not i mean historically it's traded at a, a pretty big discount most of the time is there any kind of business reason why that should be 
you're right, it is on a wide discount, probably on about a 30% discount or so at the moment. Uh, and that compares with an average over the, the previous 12 months of about 25%. So that's not a particular oddity to be that kind of level. I think it's just one that has a, a low profile. It's not one that's gone out and tried to court retail investors. I mean, some people I'm sure would describe it as a well-kept secret uh, and other people would take a different view. But it's uh, certainly a lot lower profile than many of the investment trusts that we, t- we talk about. And notwithstanding the big discount, it has performed pretty well, as you say. I think it's up nearly uh, 200% over the last 10 years or so, which is a pretty reasonable return. Let's move on then to um, not the other side of the Atlantic, the Pacific, and let's talk about AVI Japan Opportunity, AJOT, A-J-O-T. Again, another recent newcomer to the investment trust world. They've had some results. So what's the story there? So they had interim results out to the end of June, so the first six months of this year. In that time, their NEV total return uh, was down 8%, and that compares with a decline of 3.5% for the uh, the benchmark index there. The share price total return was down uh, 9% as well. So, you know, a difficult period for this particular investment company, but the management team there uh, from Asset Value Investors, they've pointed out that they are um, getting traction in terms of what they're doing, and they take a different approach to investing in the Japanese market. Um, it's predominantly uh, smaller cap companies but they take a kind of more activist approach, but not necessarily uh, as aggressive as uh, one might imagine. It's very much about trying to influence boards and management teams to do the right thing. And they've been involved in two quite high-profile public campaigns in the period that they believe is getting some traction. So in terms of the investment trust itself, they were looking to raise uh, a little bit more capital early on this year. Obviously, um, that those plans were shelved given uh, the pandemic. But they are looking to come back to the markets to raise more capital later this year. Yeah, so they're trying to ride the wave of the trend in Japan, uh, or at least reported trend, that uh, managements there are beginning to take more uh, notice of shareholder value. They're putting it higher up their list of priorities under pressure from uh, the government, um, Mr Abe in particular, though of course he has just stood down as the uh, Prime Minister in Japan. Next up is Martin Curry Global Portfolio, MNP. This is a trust that trades around par. What have they been uh, reporting this week? So they had their interim results out to the 31st of July, and they had uh, quite a good period, actually. Their NAV total return was up uh, just a bit higher than 8%, and that compared with just 0.2% for their global equities benchmark. So this is uh, an investment trust company that's been managed for the last few years by a gentleman called Zedrid Osmani. Um, He has an emphasis on quality growth companies that growth bias has uh, undoubtedly served him well in this period. But it's interesting if you compare his portfolio with, say, those of uh, Bailey Gifford, who also uh, employ a growth investment style, they're very, very different in nature, some very different names. And yet uh, he's also produced some good results. So interesting, his comments in terms of where we go from here, he doesn't believe we're going to see a V-shaped recovery. He thinks uh, gradual recovery is far more likely though he does note that earnings downgrades are ending. He's also quite cautious on the UK, um, and he believes that there's a real risk of the UK leaving the EU without a trade deal, which will be uh, very negative uh, for UK equities. Okay, well, we'll find out about that soon enough as the trade negotiations continue with some controversy. It has to be said this week in parliamentary terms. Let's look at uh, Witten Pacific, We've talked about them, where again, there's another change of management uh, coming. I think we knew that, uh, but they've also had some results out, I believe. That's right. They had their interim results out also to the end of July, so that six-month period. 
Um, they outperformed in the period, uh, NAV total return of just about 2 2.5%, which is good news. But as you say, this is kind of overshadowed by the fact that Bailey Gifford uh, is waiting in the wings to take over as the fund's investment manager. And, and at that stage, there'll be an adoption of a Chinese equities mandate, and also the, the fund is looking to hold a 40% tender offer. So this week, actually, we saw the general meeting seeking shareholder approval for those measures, and uh, that came through. So it's only a matter of time now that this, this fund uh, becomes part of the Bailey Gifford stable. Uh, and at that stage, we renamed the Bailey Gifford China Growth Trust. Does that mean that it's going to be moving sectors? I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the ASC classifications at the moment. It's currently in the Asia-Pacific sector, which is logical enough. But will it be treated as a single country specialist uh, trust, would you imagine, when it finally completes this change? So certainly the way that we classify it, we will move it to, uh, as you say, the single country, uh, obviously China, and it will compare directly with Fidelity China Special Situations and the JP Morgan uh, China Growth and Income Fund. So it will be uh, compared and measured against those two, two investment trusts. Which on the face of it looks like a pretty strong grouping as things stand at the moment in any event. OK, so let's move on to some more results. There have been a few results from the infrastructure and uh, renewables sectors. Let's just kick off with a couple. Let's start off with Aquila European Renewable Income, another relatively new uh, trust. What's the story there? So Aquila had their interim results out to the the 30th of June. Their NAV total return was negative 2.5% in that period, and that reflected the reduction in short-term forecast power prices, uh, which is in turn uh, due to the the pandemic. However, portfolio generation was positive. That was 11% above budget so that's certainly positive and it's good news on the on the dividend front so dividend target of four cents for this year but then looking to increase it to five cents thereafter um, so as you say it is a relatively new investment company it was only launched in june last year and the majority of the capital has now been deployed or committed uh, into a portfolio of six investments so they've actually got their money in the ground now Similar kind of story at the next one, which is Octopus Renewables Infrastructure, ORIT, which again is a relatively recent newcomer. And again, the question there has been how quickly they've been able to uh, invest the capital that they raised. They had quite a strong launch and raised quite a lot of money. What, uh, what's, what's the story there, Simon? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So back in December, actually, they raised £350 million at their IPO, and that was oversubscribed. So this week, we, we learned about how they performed in the first half of this year. So they had their interim results out to the 30th of June. Uh, you know, it's, it's very early days. So their NAV was down marginally uh, in that period. And actually, that reflected slightly slower than anticipated deployments. So in other words, it's just taken a little bit longer to, to get their money invested. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll forgive them, given uh, the circumstances that we've seen in the first half of this year. I think that's uh, not unreasonable. Um, but what they did say, actually, and that this is quite interesting, we've talked about how energy prices have fallen because they're now looking to deploy their capital. Um, that's actually been incorporated into the prices that they're paying for their investments. Uh, in terms of the dividend side of the story, they're basically looking to pay 3p in their, their first year. That was the dividend target at their IPO, and that's what they're doing. They've got 75% of their IPO proceeds uh, committed uh, already, but they expect to be fully committed by the end of the autumn this year. So they're on track to get their money at work. And despite that, well, I suppose the fact that they could have raised more money than they did, and despite the fact that they've got this sort of cash drag, the amount of cash sitting in the bank, as it were, they're still trading on a healthy premium, uh, as are Aquila, I think. 
That's correct. Yeah. So um, both are kind of on double digit uh, premiums. Uh, Aquila probably around about a 10% octopus on about 14%. So for new investment companies with a relatively short term track record, that's a pretty impressive rating and just shows how in demand that renewables infrastructure uh, asset class is at the moment. And so looking in terms, as you said, of the of the kind of target yields that these things are offering, even with the premiums, they're still offering uh, quite attractive yields. And that presumably is another factor why they are trading at a premium. Is, is that right? Yield is a key part of the story. So Octopus, for instance, uh, are targeting a 5% yield when they're fully invested. So they're obviously not quite there yet. Uh, so yield is very attractive in, in a number of these names. But also it's the um, uncorrelated nature of the, of the asset class. So in other words, as the stock market kind of rises and falls, you'd expect these guys to still keep performing. Clearly, there are factors that will determine uh, the net asset value, for instance, including the energy prices that that we've talked about, but they should be uncorrelated in general to the uh, equity and bond market. That's a key part of the story. And it's the same story at uh, Greencoat Renewables, GRP, which is another in the renewable energy sector, and a very similar story, premium, and again, targeting a reasonable yield despite this uh, lower power prices. Is that the same? You've been talking to them, I think. Yeah, very similar. So they have their interim results, half-year results, up to the end of June. Their uh, NAV was down a little bit, but you know, just marginally, frankly. But you know, the portfolio generation, the asset availability, that was all on budget. Uh, the power price capture was in line with the manager's expectations. Uh, and possibly what shareholders care about a little bit more is that their dividend for the period was in line with their full-year target of 6 spot 06 cents. It's a, it's a euro-denominated stock, this one. And the gross dividend cover was 2.1 times. So that's all all pretty positive. The debt is currently at 44% of gross asset value. Um, so again, it's often interesting with these uh, infrastructure funds when, when their debt levels kind of creep up a little bit, uh, it's normally a sign that at some stage they will look to return to the market to raise additional money. Yes, I was going to mention the fact that this one, uh, Green Coat Renewables, actually is a euro-denominated uh, shares rather than uh, sterling. And there's one other which is not traded in selling, I think, which is something called the U.S. Solar Fund, uh, which also had some results out, I think, and uh, that's slightly different to therefore. What was the story there? This is the final one we're going to talk about in this sector. So, yes, it was the uh, interim results, uh, half-year results to 30th of June. Their NAV was down, again, uh, slightly. They've got 70% of their projects now operational. This is, again, a relatively new investment company. It was launched in April last year, so just over a, a year, less than 18 months track record. Uh, but their Q3 and Q4 dividends are expected to be cash covered, and they describe themselves as going to be a strong position to cash cover the five and a half cent dividend target for 2021. So again, it's still relatively early days in, in this one, uh, but it looks like it's on track, particularly in terms of uh, its dividend target. Yes, I mean, they're looking at the renewable energy infrastructure sector. There are now 13 companies in it, which is uh, quite dramatic growth over the last few years. And one wonders whether they all do well or not, or whether eventually we'll have a bit of oversupply in that sector. But for the moment, it all seems very positive. Let's move on and quickly do some catch up on the property trusts. We've talked a lot about them for the obvious reason. Many of them have been badly hit by the pandemic and the impact on their rental income. We've had a two or three reporting this week. Let's just pick out a couple of them. The regional REIT RGL trading on about a 35% discount, I think. Yep, so regional REIT had its interim results out for the period to uh, the end of June. 
its NAV was down in this period and basically unsurprisingly this was as a result of the uncertainty caused by uh, COVID-19. So partly actually reflecting increased costs during the period as well. That said, they've described their kind of rental and property income as, as resilient uh, and actually they had just short of 98% of invoiced rent collected in the period. Uh, they paid a dividend in respect of the first half of 3.4p, so that was down uh, on the comparable period last year from 3.8p, um, and they're targeting 6.4 for the full year. They've got some cash on their, on their balance sheet and their loan-to-value uh, as maintained within their 40% target. So, um, I mean, the positive factor for this one is that they've got just over half their rental income is secured against tenants designated by the government as essential services, uh, which is probably not a bad place to be uh, in the property sector at the moment. Yes, I mean, there's a big range of discounts in the sector. Again, I'm looking at now, they're going from nearly 20% premium in one case to uh, nearly 50% uh, discount in other cases. Let's look at one of the uh, trusts that is trading at a premium. And we can see why that might be. Uh, that is supermarket income, a REIT, S-U-P-R, which does what it says on the tin. It does indeed. It invests in supermarkets. And again, probably not a bad place to be at this precise moment in time. And that's reflected in their annual results, uh, which came out recently. And that was annual results to the end of June. Their uh, NAV was actually up 4% in that period. And they increased their dividend as well, 5.6p to 5.8p. They also uh, collected 100% of all their rents during the period. And again, not too many property companies will, will tell you that at the moment. Uh, they've increased their dividend target for the financial year for 2021. And that's increased in line with uh, inflation. Um, so it's all pretty good news, actually. But they are looking to raise more money, I think it's fair to say, and to uh, acquire certainly more supermarkets. Uh, and in fact, they acquired nine supermarkets following the period end. And they have an investment pipeline in excess of £400 million. So don't be too surprised to see this one uh, grow in the near term. I noticed in the notes to their annual results that these most recent deal they've done for nine supermarkets was uh, with a projected uh, initial yield of 4.8%. How does that compare to what the, uh, the trust is yielding itself at the moment? If you're investing at that rate, you would think that uh, the kind of sustainable dividend rate for that kind of trust would be pretty similar figure, would it not? So their yield on a historic basis based on their current share price is about 5.2p. Uh, what you've got to bear in mind that there's obviously gearing in the structure as well, uh, which will obviously help in terms of the yield. But yes, you, that's something to watch actually. And it's true, not just in the property space, but a number of asset classes and also in the infrastructure space where you do have uh, investment uh, capital deployed, um, particularly if an asset class is, is hot, it's in demand, you will see invariably yield compression. And it, it can often get to a point where actually it doesn't make sense for these investment portfolios to kind of follow their money uh, because of the, the knock-on impact that it will have on, on the dividend back to shareholders going forward. And finally, in the property sector, let's look at an interesting trust called uh, Phoenix Spray Deutschland, PSDL, which had been a brilliant uh, investment, or at least it was performing very well. Uh, it invests in Germany, by as the name perhaps suggests. But of course, it's been hit by a change in government policy there. And uh, I think it's still counting the cost of that unexpected uh, development. Can you tell us more about uh, about what's been going on there, Simon? So they have their interim results out again to the end of uh, June. Their NEV was actually up slightly in this period, about just short of 3%. And uh, their average rental income per square metre was actually up as well um, by about 2%. And that's as uh, benefiting from rent controls there. And in fact, in terms of their condominium sales, 
they actually achieved a 16% to book value. So all kind of positive developments on that front. Their interim dividend was uh, unchanged uh, and they've actually resumed their share repurchase program. But as you kind of noted, the kind of final phase of the Berlin rent controls uh, will materially impact collective rents in 2021 unless a legal challenge is successful. Yes, yeah, so this was a, this was introduction of rent controls in Berlin and I think one or two other places that actually changed the whole nature of the property investment game which they're in in that country and so they've had to deal with that and as you say there is a legal challenge going on and I guess a fair deal about their future prospects will depend on on what the outcome of that is. I wouldn't uh, be qualified to know whether that's likely to succeed or not but uh, when it's uh, legal issues you can never predict for certain what's going to happen. Okay, so moving on to other news, shall we? Let's talk about the uh, saga that is continuing, still continuing, Gabelli Value Plus Plus, GVP. Tell me the story there, Simon. So as uh, listeners may remember, Gabelli Value Plus in July, not that long ago, shareholders voted against the continuation of this fund. And that was with the backing of the board of directors. And in fact, the board had concluded that probably the best way forward, given that vote, uh, was for the fund to be placed into a voluntary liquidation. However, and this is where it all starts to unwind a little bit, the, the fund's largest shareholder, an outfit called Associated Capital Group, uh, which holds 20% of the share register and also has links to the fund's manager, has stated it will vote against that motion. Uh, and unfortunately, a liquidation proposal requires at least 75% of the share capital voted in favour. So in other words, it can block any liquidation proposal. So there is a standoff uh, on this one, and no doubt many of the shareholders will be incredibly frustrated by this uh, turn of events. The board said they will continue to evaluate uh, options available. So the saga rumbles on. Yes, we call that a bit of a shootout at the OK Corral, but it's turning into a bit more like trench warfare there, it looks like. Uh, They have got this uh, crucial 27% stake that allows them to block any resolution requiring a 75% vote in favour. So I imagine they'll try and extract some better terms or get something to a further advantage out of that situation if they can. I think that's all we've got time for this week, Simon, apart from having a quick look at what has been happening in the market. You mentioned that Merritt and Chrysalis have been among the strongest performers this week, in fact, the strongest performer. Uh, anything else you'd pick out from the uh, this week or the past month, which has seen some significant action? I'm thinking mainly about biotech, am I not? Yeah, I know it has been a good week for a couple of the the funds in the biotech space. So Biotech Growth Trust and to a bit of a lesser extent, International Biotech. And that's because a key holding for both those investment trusts, Immunomedics, hopefully I pronounced that correctly, uh, has seen a bid. Uh, They saw a bid from uh, Gilead earlier this week. I think it was the top holding in uh, Biox portfolio, Biotech Growth Funds Trust portfolio. So um, it was up about 9, 9%, 10% uh, on the back of that news. So very positive. Away from biotech, uh, it's also been quite a good week or something in the first four days of the week for some of the, uh, the Japanese investment trusts. It's probably fair to say that they've, they've not necessarily had um, a year in, in the spotlight this year, but actually uh, names such as AVI Japan Opportunities we talked about and Bailey Gifford Shin Nippon uh, have both performed quite well this week. One other trust we might look at, Simon, is in the private equity sector, and that is uh, HG. What can you tell us about them? We've been a long-standing, very successful private equity trust, probably one of the better ones in the sector. What's what's the news from them? Well, uh, an interesting set of interim results to the 30th of June from HG Capital Trust. Um, just to take a step back, I think we thought that private equity was going to have a very tough year 
uh, this year at one stage. Um, but actually, there are signs that it all might not be quite as disastrous as we once feared, particularly those investment trusts or private equity investment trusts exposed to healthcare and technology. And HG fits into that camp. They had an NAV total return of just short of 7% in that first six months of the period. In fact, they've given an update, an updated NAV at the end of August. And uh, at that stage, their NAV was up 12% year to date, which is very credible. The story here is that uh, they're quite heavily exposed to uh, technology companies, but it's fair to say not necessarily the um, highly rated uh, kind of US tech companies, the, the ones that HG Capital have a preference for, are those that often provide business critical software to companies, so accounting software companies or tax or human resources. And these have been tremendously successful, a very cash generative defensive growth type businesses. And that's really uh, generated good returns. Uh, and it's not just unrealized profits as well. There's been uh, quite a lot of investment activity, which again is not something that we necessarily anticipated going back four or five months. Uh, and so that's really what's driven the returns. But certainly uh, many people would see it as one of the, the, the strongest listed private equity funds. And, and that story uh, continues to gain momentum this year. And how are the shares trading then on the back of that? I imagine their rating is rather different to some of the others in players in that sector. That's right. So um, in, in the listed private equity space, uh, discounts of 20 or perhaps even nearer to 30 percent are not uncommon. HG Capital uh, stands out as one of the few names that's actually traded on a premium in recent months. To be fair, that was in anticipation, I think, of this updated NAV, which we've now got. So they're probably just trading on a, on a very small discount to their NAV. And as I said, that stands them out in the crowd. But again, there's a reason why their rating is where it's at and, and some of the others are, are lagging far behind. They have a very strong track track record. Their long-term performance record has, has been very strong and, and that's seen considerable growth in their assets and their following as well. So let's call a halt there, Simon. It's been a short week for us and a slightly shorter podcast as a result. I'm sorry to say that we had nothing from Song this week, Hypnosis, so we are unable to delve deeper into their catalogue which is a great shame. Come on, guys, you're not trying hard enough. A whole week goes by without an announcement. Well, I look forward to talking again next week, Simon. Thanks again for your time. And uh, it's been, a, as you say, a pretty reasonable week so far in the markets for investment trusts. This has been a Moneymakers Investment Trust podcast. These podcasts are independently produced and edited and are available on all leading podcast channels. You can sign up on the Moneymakers website, www.money-makers.co, to be notified every time a new podcast is available. Thank you for listening, and please keep safe in these difficult times.